0: This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number R1. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash R1. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. And you might be a little bit confused. Today is not the usual day that the podcast episode comes out typically. And today is September 27th, 2016. And the reason that that date is important to me is because on this day – Five years ago, I started my own sobriety journey and also a journey of recovery from alcoholism. So I am doing a 10-part series of the podcast just on recovery. These are additional episodes. Uh, you will still get your regularly scheduled broadcasts on Wednesdays talking about personal development and all things your kick-ass life. In addition, you will get 10 extra episodes just on recovery and sobriety. So if you are interested in this topic, if you know someone who might be interested in this topic, then this is for you. So some of you might be brand new to me. Some of you might be just listening to this podcast. Maybe someone forwarded it to you. Maybe, maybe someone shared it on social media. So if you don't know me, my name is Andrea Owen. I'm a life coach. Uh, I am a mom. I help uh, very high-achieving, smart women who really struggle in particular with perfectionism and the inner critic with negative self-talk. And I help them create tools and a life that revolves more around courage and confidence. That's really kind of the nutshell of what I do. And I am also sober. Again, I've been sober for five years and it is it's kind of a big part of my life and I don't talk about it a whole lot on the podcast and I kind of got like this burning feeling earlier this year and I just thought like, I, I really want to talk about this. I kind of reserve it to talk about it around the time of my sober anniversary. But this year I wanted to do something a little bit different. So if you are sure that you don't want to miss the rest of these episodes, you can go ahead and sign up to receive notifications of them just by texting the word kick ass. That's all one word to four, four, four. 999. Again, just text kickass to 444999, you'll get notifications of these podcast episodes and my other ones as well, so you won't miss any of them. So today's episode, I'm going to actually read you my blog post that I published in September on September 27th. 2012. So this was when I had a year of sobriety, and I hadn't really told anyone. I hadn't told anybody in the in the Your Ass Life community that I had gotten sober. It was just a, a very close, select fr- um, group of friends that I that knew I was going through that that first year. And you know, that first year of of sobriety can be can be a little tricky for some people. And I wanted to make sure that I kept it under wraps and wasn't super public with it. And and it it really was selfish. I did it for me. I did it for my recovery. I did it for my family and my marriage. And and it was a, a decision I'm glad that I made. So I I, I went public, if you will, on September twenty seventh, twenty twelve. And again, I had a year of sobriety then and this is the post that I wrote. And I can tell you, I remember vividly that I was terrified to put this out into the world. And, you know, I'd already been a fan of Brene Brown. I hadn't gone through her training yet. This was a couple of years before that. And I I knew very well about vulnerability and I had already written some vulnerable stuff. But this was really big. This was uh, I, I had a lot of fear and shame around it still. And I was afraid that people would think that I was still a disaster. You know, like who is this lady to be teaching classes on courage and confidence when she's you know, she was an alcoholic the first few months of her business, you know, didn't get sober until she was like 5 months in. So I had I had that voice going on a lot. And um I did it anyway. I I teach you all all the time and and talk a lot about starting things before you're ready and that we will have, you know, we will have fear and courage at the same time in the same moments and there is no such thing as fearless. So please don't wait until you are fearless because you will be waiting forever and we need your voice, we need your gifts, we need your ideas and creativity and opinions and, and all of you while you're still afraid. So it was, posting this in 2012 was both me walking my talk as well as an effort to help other people, especially women, especially mothers who are struggling with drinking. So again, this is a 10-part series and if you stick around to the end, I am gonna read the post, it's it's fairly short, but at the end, I am going to add kind of my own, and I'm just gonna shoot from the hip, y'all. I don't have anything you know super planned out, so I'm just gonna kinda shoot from the hip and tell you what my recovery looks like now because since I wrote this post, uh, how many years ago, several years ago, five years ago you know I, I've done a, I've done a lot of things and, and added onto my list of what I do to not just keep myself sober but to keep my head on straight and to keep myself in recovery. So I'm going to talk about that at the end and you'll also hear a clip of what's coming up from next week's recovery post. I'm very excited about that. So here we go. <laughs> My stomach lurches as I begin this post. I considered not going public with this, but that damn intuition of mine had other ideas. There's a part of me that wants to make this post bright and cheery somehow, but I'd be lying to you and to me if I did that. I'd like to preface this story with this. I know there are so many more women like me, so I choose to go public with my story because of that. There is a part of me that has massive amounts of shame around this, but coming clean helps heal. And if only one woman gets sober on account of reading my story, then all the shame is worth it. Hi, my name is Andrea, and I'm an alcoholic. Yep, me. If you're anything like me, when you hear the word alcoholic... You get that vision of the homeless man in the gutter drinking from a paper bag, or maybe the leathery-skinned, worn-out woman at the bar falling off the bar stool, or any other pathetic image that you can conjure up. Not often do you picture a successful life coach living a great life in the suburbs, and that story is a big part of what kept me drinking. I'll start by backing up. My battle started in my late teens with love addiction. When I was 25, my struggle grew into an eating disorder and thankfully I got help from that and healed from both of those when I was about 31. It wasn't until years later that I realized and admitted that the eating disorder was bad enough that it could have killed me. To add fuel to that fire, when I was 26, I was diagnosed with severe anxiety and panic disorder, which at the time was being helped with medication prescribed by my doctor. Throughout my 20s, in terms of drinking, I was a normal girl, using quotes there. I drank socially just like all my friends, but could always put the bottle down without a fight. Sure, there were episodes where I made bad decisions, because does anyone make good decisions while they're drinking? And I had some embarrassing moments, but nothing so humiliating to write about. Looking back, I believe I didn't need to rely on drinking then to cope because I had my eating disorder to fall back on as well as an addictive relationship with my ex-husband. Those behaviors fed the addict in me and I didn't yet need alcohol to numb myself. Upon recovering from the eating disorder and love addiction, I skipped along into my new life with new tools and thoughts to cope without turning to a relationship or turning to a man or turning to my eating disorder. When I was well into recovery from those two addictions, I was so proud and happy. I was convinced I was finally mentally stable, (laughs) but little did I know my alcoholism took its place. Quietly, it snuck in like a lethal poisonous gas that I couldn't see. I really had no problem quitting when I was pregnant, but after the birth of my second child in 2009 is when my drinking picked up serious speed and momentum. I found myself drinking nearly every day. And the days that I didn't drink, it was to prove to myself that I didn't need to. See? I could skip a day. I'm okay. When attending social events, my mind revolved around alcohol. I was constantly thinking about how full my drink was, if anyone noticed how much I was drinking, if I needed to cover up how drunk I was getting, how much more time I had to drink and so on. After about a year of this, the whispers in my head started, normal people probably don't do this. Do I need to cut back? This probably isn't good. In December of 2010, I remember one evening finishing an entire bottle of wine in one evening by myself. Granted, I know there had been plenty of times I drank four plus glasses of wine in one evening, but never by myself at home on a weeknight. I was so ashamed, and that night I swore I would cut back. The next morning at the grocery store, I proudly passed the wine aisle and didn't buy any. By 4 p.m. that evening, the anxiety had risen in me, and quickly I brought myself and the kids back to the grocery store to get a bottle. Because I deserved it. Because I had a long day because I would only have one glass while cooking dinner. That night I ended up drinking three glasses and was proud of myself for not drinking the entire bottle. Soon after that, an entire bottle was pretty regular. I started hiding how much I was drinking from my husband and pretty quickly the obsession started of hiding, worrying, and wondering what I should do. This part was a living hell the more that I tried to not think about drinking and the feelings that surrounded it, the worse I felt. My first thoughts in the morning were guilt and shame about how much I had drank the night before, then the thoughts would move to planning on cutting back, then wondering if I had a real problem, then justifying my drinking, more guilt and shame, each day the afternoon would come and I would watch the clock waiting for an appropriate time to pour my first glass. Those times were getting earlier and earlier. If I remember correctly, my earliest drink was 2.30 p.m. And the whispers got louder and more clear. Normal people don't do this. Why can't I stop thinking about this? I think I have a problem. I googled, am I an alcoholic? And I hoped Google and the internets would magically pop up a yes or a no on the screen instead of a bunch of links. I kept reading, only you know if you have a problem, and I wanted to scream, mostly because I did know I had a problem. However, I was paralyzed with fear to quit drinking. I could not imagine my life without alcohol in it. I mean, I love alcohol. I'm good at drinking. And at the same time, there was a large part of me that was convinced there was no way I could be an alcoholic. I mean, have you seen the show Intervention? Did you see that episode of Oprah where the mom was hiding bottles of Chardonnay behind the kitchen trash and in the laundry room? That wasn't me. That's an alcoholic, right? And I judged those women. But the whisper in my head politely tapped me on the shoulder and reminded me that those women were once where I was at that moment. They didn't just wake up one day and start hiding booze. But I kept justifying my drinking. I was never drunk when I drank at home alone. I never drove. I never lost control with my kids, and I never yelled. We had a house in the suburbs, we had two cars, we had two kids, and my marriage was actually pretty good. How could I be an alcoholic? And no one knew. There were no confrontations, there were no raised eyebrows, no one told me I should cut back, but the hiding was becoming a full-time job, and a job I didn't want anymore. So if no one knew, and I was doing a pretty good job of controlling it, or so I convinced myself, then I didn't have to quit, right? I mean, I didn't have this rock bottom that we always hear about. My life was great. All I did was drink too much. I had no DUIs. I had no arrests. I had no tragic story whatsoever. So what changed? Well, I did some research not the college term paper kind, kind of, I guess, but just started reading blogs of women in recovery. And I talked to some girlfriends who had gotten sober. And here was my turning point. I admitted that what was happening to me was happening fast. And it was out of my control. My drinking wasn't yet out of control, but its progression was. There's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, if we don't change our direction, we are likely to end up where we are headed. And I knew exactly where I was headed. My intuition, the whispers, they were speaking more loudly at this point. I could not lie to myself anymore. I had just started my business and I felt like such a fucking hypocrite writing and telling people how to live their best life, how to live their kick-ass life for Christ's sake. And I was lying to myself every day and numbing the pain of that with more alcohol. So I knew I had two choices. I could keep drinking and see what happened. Or I could quit drinking and see what happened. And I was pretty sure that I was an alcoholic and true alcoholics, we don't get better if we keep drinking, no matter how desperately we try. We just keep getting worse. I was more terrified to see what would happen if I kept drinking than to try sobriety. That was all I needed to realize to reach out and try sobriety. And so I quit. And it hasn't all been easy. Some days are and some days aren't. As time has gone on, the days are easier. And now I can't imagine my life if I had kept up the progression, but I can't think about the rest of my life without alcohol. I just can't. Every day, I make a decision and commitment to stay sober that day, just that day. I'm human. I'm an alcoholic, and that's all I can do. Today, September 27th, 2012, I have one year of sobriety. So that's it. That's the post and I got a little emotional reading that. I mean, I, I – to be honest with you, I haven't even read it all the way through in a really long time and I'm, I'm noticing some things that I, I, I feel differently about. So, so I will talk about that. I wanted, again, to add some things because it's been four years since I wrote that and it's been five years since I've gotten sober. You know, I'll start kind of from the beginning, like, you know, kind of an FAQ style and people ask me all the time how I got sober. And I will just say it. Uh, The first thing I did is I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. I do not speak for AA. No one speaks for AA. But I went. And I went for the first few years. I did all the things that we are supposed to do. And I truly believe that AA saved my life. And um, it worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone. And in the series to follow, you will hear some people that I'm interviewing who who love AA, um, next week when we talk to Courtney, one of my closest friends, she's a, she's a huge fan of it, loves it, and we talk about it, and then um, you'll hear from some other guests who have some different opinions about it and, and offer different solutions. So stay tuned for that. You know, there's, there's also been a few things, oh, and also, I don't go to meetings anymore though and um, that's for reasons that I will talk about in episode, I believe it's episode four, R4 <clears throat> with Holly Whitaker. we will talk to her about that in a little bit more detail, the reason that I don't go. But I, I do absolutely recommend that people try it out. There's been a few things that have been instrumental in the success of my recovery and what I mean by that is the simple fact that I haven't, I haven't drank at all. Success in recovery is can be so subjective because you can you can not drink but still have all the same issues and behaviors you had while you were drinking. To me, that's just being sober. That's not recovery. I, I, I'm a big believer that sobriety and recovery are two very different things. Drinking for many of us is just a symptom, a manifestation, if you will, of a bigger problem underneath. And if we don't address that, then nothing, changing, nothing changes, just quitting drinking doesn't fix that, which I think some people hope that's that, that that's the case, and it's not. What I ask people that are thinking about quitting drinking or are early in recovery, and it's a question that I have asked myself and that I have dug very deeply on and, and have come to many conclusions and, and has led to transformations in my life, is, and the question is, what is the problem you think drinking will solve? In other words, what are you looking for in that first drink? And usually, the answer that I get is, "Well, I want to relax. Uh, I want to forget about my day. I want to take the edge off." And and you know, typically people don't say, "Oh, I," you know, "I want to numb all my problems because life is hard." And 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 some people do say that. Some people know that. But but again, like it's usually, I just want to take the edge take the edge off. And I ask. To further that question, why do you need to forget about your day or why do you need to take the edge off? Like, what's the edge? And I'm also a big believer that I think that if more of us looked at the edges in our lives, we'd probably come through a lot of breakthroughs and be a lot happier in the end. But we don't. We think that we need to take them off. The thing is, is that drinking or any addiction, really, for that matter, we're talking about drinking here is. They don't go away. The edges don't go away when we drink. We can just ignore them for a little while. The days don't go away. We just block them out. So all that shit underneath stays. And when we dig deeper by asking these questions like, you know, why do you feel like you need to take the edge off? What is the edge? Like What what are those edges? Well, I feel overwhelmed. Why do you feel overwhelmed? Well, because I have too much on my plate. Why do you have too much on your plate? It's because I say yes to everybody. And I should probably say no more. Why do you say yes and not say no? Well, because I don't want – I want people to like me. I want, you know, I want to fit in. So it's like, you know, I'm just using a quick example, a common one. But again, by asking these questions, we get down to the root of the problem, which way down at the deep end of the pool can look like, you know – you you're trying to take the edge off, which is actually your broken heart, your unhappiness in your relationships, whether it's like crushing loneliness from you know not being in a partnership or not having the friends that you want and need or being just unhappy in your marriage. It, or maybe it's your fear of not being good enough or being rejected. It's at the bottom, it might be grief that hasn't been acknowledged. It might be crippling anxiety. I mean, these are real life things that we all have. I tell you guys all the time that we're all walking around brokenhearted. You know, none of us come out unscathed. You get to a certain age and it's like, yeah, we all kind of, you know, we have our bumps and bruises and cuts and open wounds and and booze. Like, you know, we keep pouring it down thinking that it's going to take, and trust me, that's what I was doing. Like, I didn't want to face all that shit that I just named. All of those things that I just named. I had them all. And I thought wine would take it all away. And it did for like an hour every day. And I kept trying to get back to that and kept trying to get back to that. And it was taking more booze and more booze. And damn it, every morning I would wake up and the shit was still there. The broken heart was still there. And instead of trying to look at it and shining the light on it, pour more booze on it. You know, and it's just like this undying cycle that just keeps going and going and going. So in recovery, it was about finding coping mechanisms. I mean, well, first and foremost, it was looking at all of that. It was like, oh, (laughs) all of that, you know, and and who wants to do that? That shit doesn't sound like a party, but it's what we need to do. And um, gosh, I wish there was an easier way, you guys. I really do. (laughs) Because I would have hacked into it by now. (laughs) Overachiever here, I would have done it. But there's not. And it is about looking at all of it and taking responsibility for what is yours and and what is somebody else's. And it's about finding coping mechanisms that help you deal with life and learning how – things like learning how to communicate. I didn't know how to to communicate. You know, I was either angry or passive-aggressive or confrontational or – silent or all of these things you know I wanted people to read my mind and try to control and all these ways of trying to make it through life and they just weren't working anymore by no means am I telling you that my life is perfect now that I have all these great coping mechanisms but uh, I should probably do an episode of, of how my life is different and for one thing it's just everything's a lot more clear and the thing is 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 I feel pain more intensely now, and I think before when I was in my addictions and in my drinking, I felt like the pain would kill me. I felt like if I went through life sober and like with my eyes open and I walked into that hellfire, I'm not coming out alive. That will kill me. That will destroy me. And it turns out it doesn't. It hurts like shit but I come out the other end okay. And a lot of times I come out better for having gone through it. I would say probably all the time I I walk through it, I come out better on the other side. And yeah, I experience pain more intensely, but the prize, kind of like the payoff of that is that I experience joy more intensely too, and happiness, and bliss, and things that I didn't know existed and joy that takes my breath away and uh it just leaves me speechless like I can't <clears throat> I can't even imagine it's, it's as if I had fogged up goggles for 36 years before that and they came off and I was like holy shit I remember um I did my very first triathlon it was a sprint triathlon in um in the bay in uh, Mission Bay where I used to live in San Diego, and no one told me that you're supposed to spit in your goggles before you go swimming. So here I go, dive in the water, scared shitless, and I'm swimming and swimming and swimming, and all of a sudden I hear, "Hey, yellow!" because the group that I was in, we had yellow caps, and I look up and there's this woman on a paddleboard or maybe she was in a canoe, I can't remember, and she goes, she points the other direction. I had been swimming in the wrong direction because my goggles were all fogged up, so when I start to panic. I'm like, oh my god, and then I see like the other wave of, of people coming at me swimming and it's, that's kind of like how my life <laughs> Was, it was like I had these fogged up goggles on and I was swimming in the wrong direction and then take them off and then see this like wave coming at me. And yeah, and and I panicked and I made it out okay and I made it out fine and I finished the triathlon and it was a lot of fun and, and that's really how I did it, you know, and I was so proud of myself for actually accomplishing that. That's really like how my, my life went. I took off the goggles and looked around and was scared shitless of of the mistakes I had made and the things that I had to clean up and um, the ways that I needed to learn to behave differently in order to have a healthy functional life and um, went for it and it was messy and and what was funny is that I got my, my results back. You guys are probably confused now. I was like, is she talking about the triathlon or is she talking about her life? So I got the results back from the race, the triathlon, and I had felt like I was in the water for an hour. I was like, oh my God, I was probably in the water for like an hour, it was 22 minutes. I was in the water for 22 minutes. And some of my friends that, that had done the triathlon with me that had swam in the right direction the whole time did it in 10. So I, I mean, I only doubled my time, but yeah, I, I just thought of that metaphor and hope that landed well. But recovery is recovery is a gift. And for anyone listening who is thinking about I, I had a friend that reached out to me when I when I posted this four years ago and she said I burst into tears when I read the part where you said, I cannot I could not imagine my life without alcohol. And I couldn't. Like it was my identity. It was who I was. I was I was fun drunk I mean I'm fun sober I was a lot of fun drunk and my ex-husband used to say you are you are always one shot of Patron away from a walking disaster and I and I was and that that happened a lot but for the most part I was I think I was pretty fun and I was loud and but you know and then I and then I would hurt people's feelings because I was so I was I get obnoxious and I just I, I tried to kind of only remember the good things in the beginning, like when I was thinking about when I was like first sober and I would kind of like pine for those days. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this forever. And oh, drinking was so fun. And the thing is, those fun parts of drinking, like, you know, like the partying in Vegas or it's like somebody's birthday party or it's my birthday or, you know, going away parties and things like that. That was like one percent of my drinking career. And when I th- when I would think back of it all, just like wah, sad for myself that I can't drink anymore. Like most of my drinking at that point was like by myself in the kitchen from a box of Franzia. Like it wasn't fun. Like it really wasn't fun. It was to serve a purpose, and that purpose was to forget about my life. I was I I I was the type of person who and i'm sure a lot of you listening can can relate to this like i felt everything so intensely i think that that's just like i do i do not think i'm unique in that i think that's just part of the human experience but i do identify as um having some sensory issues as my son has been diagnosed with them i'm like ooh that apple didn't fall far from the tree but i i i felt like i was overstimulated all the time and drinking helped me for a short amount of time and so now it's just about learning how to deal with that and like knowing I'm going to be okay. So it's a lot of self-trust that I have learned to have, I guess. And it's slow. It was a slow process. And, you know, here I am in 2016 and I can safely say that I trust my emotions. And, and believe me, like even five, six years ago, I would have been like, really? <laughs> Who does that? emotions are not to be trusted like oh no way Jose but yeah I do I trust my body and I trust that my body is the wisest part of me and I'll tell you what life is a lot less uh, frantic that way I feel a lot more peace and ease just trusting my emotions and um, there's a lot less panic there so I got a little off track there but if you're that person who is thinking like I can't imagine my life without alcohol it's my identity and that that type of thought process, I think I invite you to think about, and because this is what I did, is I, I thought about my life with alcohol, keeping on the on the progression that I was going. So I thought about what's it going to be, you know, if I'm if I'm quickly going down the rails, and by going down the rails, I mean my consumption was increasing. Um, I was easily up to a bottle a night if I was out. At some kind of social event, which was amazing, because we at that point when I got sober, we had two small children, we didn't get out that much. So if like if somebody was having a Christmas party, I was like, looked forward to it for months. I was like, Yahoo! An excuse to get shit faced. You know, that was easily two bottles or more. It was it was quickly progressing, and so I thought to myself, okay, if I can't imagine my life without alcohol, let's imagine my life with alcohol because it's increasing a lot. And I know five years from now, a bottle of wine a night isn't going to be enough for me. You know what am I? What am I doing to my body? What am I doing to my family? What am I doing to my future? To everything? To really everything? And I knew, you know, I heard these stories of, of these these rock bottoms from people and from women, and, and these stories about being arrested and losing their kids, and and all of these these stories. And and I kept thinking to myself, that's not me. That's not me. But I knew and I really had to admit to myself that that could easily be me. Again, because these people didn't start out, you know, just like wake up one day and have this – and drink a few bottles of wine and then go out and get a DUI or have their kids taken away like the first year they started drinking. Like they were progressing just like I was. And I was not any more special than they were that I was going to get this get-out-of-jail-free pass at life I, I could very well be that person and, and do I want to risk that so you know maybe try sobriety and recovery and that's sort of what I did and I, I was like well maybe you know maybe I could try it and see but I knew like I knew I was kind of in it for life but I I, I stepped in one day at a time I really did and, and because me thinking about my life sober forever was so overwhelming it was like okay Andrea let's go climb out Everest tomorrow you ready? That's the way I looked at it. It was so overwhelming. It it was just debilitating. So I chose not to. I chose those first few years just to absolutely take it one day at a time. And as I was reading that post to you, I was was thinking to myself, do I still do that? Do I still wake up and think I'm not going to drink today? To be honest with you, I don't. Because, you know, and there are some people in recovery who might be like, ooh, you're getting complacent. I, I don't know. I maybe, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I, I don't feel that way at all. I don't think about drinking hardly ever. And when I do, it is so few and far between, I pick up the phone quicker than anything and I know who to call. And, and it goes away. It's kind of like magic. And I just, I don't, now I can't imagine my life with alcohol. I can't imagine I can't imagine drinking because moderation does not seem like fun to me at all. I, I, and we talk about that. You'll, you'll hear us talk more about that in episode three with Laura McCowan. We talk about moderation and my feelings about that. And, you know, my, my thought process was always if one is good, then five is better. Always. I still think sometimes that way about Tylenol, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to be careful. I have to be really careful. I'm a go-getter. So um, I hope that was helpful for you. I don't really have anything more to share. I've I've kind of just been been rambling on and on here. And I I hope you enjoyed this and I hope it was helpful. And uh, I hope that if you are struggling that you reach out for help. There are some resources back on the show notes at yourkickasslife.com forward slash R1. And I'm going to have people on the podcast and some of them have their own recovery programs or have more resources. So that's that's what I'm also uh, going to be giving out as well. And so Ask Kickers, thank you so much for being here. And if you're new to me, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. And hey, wait! Don't go. Before I forget, I wanted to share with you this quick clip that's coming up from next week's episode. I have my friend and colleague Courtney Webster on, and I just want to make sure that you guys know that it's not all serious talk. We do have a little bit of fun here. You go. So we're. I, I'm gonna. I will have already introduced you. So. Oh, okay. It, we're gonna just kind of jump in. Okay. <laughs> no foreplay. <laughs> this is, I, I hope you're wet. <laughs> If not, here's some (laughs) astral (laughs) guide. This is how I do it with all my podcast guests. (laughs) Take care of yourself. You need to be taking care of yourself. (laughs) Self-care.